I think that's a Texan way of saying Bovcat. 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 Bovcast. This is Bovcast, a podcast exploring Reformed theology through the works of Herman Bovink. Hello, everyone. This is Bovcast. Bov. Yeah. I am your co-host, Andrew Smith. And I am the host of Co. Uh, Castro Caleb. What? Did you just, like, have a stroke or something? <laughs> is that what Yoda's doing? Maybe. <laughs> that makes a lot more sense. Can we get Yoda an MRI or something? <laughs> DKG, whatever. He didn't look so good in Emperor Strikes Back. That's for sure. Emperor Strikes Back? Yeah, the Emperor Strikes Back. Not the not the Empire itself. Did it did it happen again? Are you okay? The Empire collapsed already. Are you are you like are you feeling well? Uh, so, I could use more coffee. <laughs> it's almost noon now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So Caleb, still in my house. Still here. Hi. It's actually not been three weeks that i've been living here it's actually only like less than a day yeah we are uh we are falsely representing ourselves by recording uh multi-parts yeah. uh, of episode or multi-episodes in one long session for your listening pleasure and for our not having to record for a few more weeks that's true and our procrastination of other things welcome to podcasting hi so we've been talking about creation, because why not? Chapter 11 of the Wonderful Works of God, uh, and we will continue to do so now. You go into this page, the very last sentence of 153 and going on to the next page. So note here what Bob Inc. says. The whole work of creation, according to the repeated testimony of the scriptures, was completed in six days. This is where he starts noting some of those debates he says, uh, no one less than Augustine judged that God had made everything perfect and complete at once, so instantaneous creation of all things, and that the six days were not six successive periods of time, but only so many points of vantage from which the rank and order of the creatures might be viewed. And he talks about the day-age longer than 24-hour units, but that next paragraph, Scripture speaks very definitely of days which are reckoned by the measurement of night and morning, and which lie at the basis of the distribution of the days of the week in Israel and its festive calendar. So, in other words, we take in consideration the author, Moses, who is authoring this book, but one who uh, has already something of the system of worship cultic festal practices and observances in early form prior to the fixed kingdom of Israel dwelling in the land. So in other words, there's Moses oh, has already a built-in sense of the days of the week of Israel and the festive calendar. Nevertheless, scripture itself contains data which oblige us to think of these days of Genesis as different from our ordinary units as determined by the revolutions of the earth. So, in other words, he's saying that there is then the presupposition of Moses that we, we should take this into account of Moses is ordering this according to those six day 24 periods, though, how do we conceive of time uh, in this in actual creation days? There is a little bit more of an obscurity. He particularly, for instance, when he gets into the sixth day, makes the argument that essentially there's too much going on in the sixth day 
to fit into a single day. Although he does admit, I don't know if he does this so clearly in Wonderful Works, but he does in Dog Mag say that it is possible that all of that did happen within a few hours. Right. But that there is a lot going on, you know, the creation of man, the naming of all the animals and so forth. You know, as we've already mentioned, we're we're more inclined towards that this was an actual 24-hour day, and therefore this stuff all did happen in a matter of hours and could have happened in a matter of hours. But Bob Inc. is leaving open uh, some room for, for, for more than that. Yeah, and I, I think this isn't the, uh, you know, Caleb and Andrew show, mind you, so why we're, why we're focusing on what it is that Bob Inc. says. We, we are entirely fine with uh, differing on him if Bob Inc. happens to conceive of perhaps a more broader open sense, um, whereas Andrew and I are more okay with on our own reflections, not to say we're more knowledgeable than Bob Inc. in the slightest, but but that from our own informed and exegetical conclusions, we uh, we think that the six day 24 hour is quite possible. And that, that, that's why we're belaboring that. So so there you have it two years into this. If you've ever wondered, do these guys actually disagree with Bob Inc. on <laughs> we something? We do. Here's one. If yeah, if Bob Inc. were to, let's say uh, Wonderful Works of God comes out sometime after Reform Dogmatics is completed. Let's say Bob Inc.'s uh, thought has progressed in that period and in the sense of he's further worked it out and developed from where he was in Reform Dogmatics, and he becomes less broad and now says, okay, well, we don't know. It doesn't seem likely that these can be fixed 24-hour days. Um, he says on page 154, as an example, about four paragraphs down, second last paragraph. In the second place, the first three days, Genesis 1, 3 to 13, must have been very unlike ours. For our 24-hour days are affected by the revolutions of the Earth on its axis and by the correspondingly different relationship to the sun which accompanies the revolutions. But those first three days could not have been uh, constituted in that way. Now he says could not have. That's a pretty precise statement there. It is true that the distinction between them was marked by the appearance and disappearance of light, but the book of Genesis itself tells us that sun and moon and stars were not formed until the fourth day. So uh, and then he goes on to say, uh, we take into account that the fall of angels and men and that also the flood which followed later caused all sorts of changes in the cosmos. And if, in addition, we notice that in every sphere, the period of becoming differs remarkably from that of normal growth, then it seems not unlikely that the second series of three days also differed from our days, uh, referring to length, in many respects. So if Bob Inc. has become less broad and has kind of inclined more towards this position of uh, differing lengths of days, then, you know, that I have absolutely no problem uh, disagreeing there. That's me. <laughs> Another thing, too, we have to account for, we come back to this over and over again, is Bob Inc. as the gentleman theologian that he was, uh, working in the academy, spending almost all his adult life as a professor. Bob Inc., whatever his personal stance on things may be, uh, he wants to cast a net wide enough to allow people who might disagree with him on finer points to still be, you know, within the church, still have a seat at the table, if you will. We could see some of that going on. It's hard to tell. We can't really read his mind, you know, over a hundred years later. Another thing to point out, too, is we're talking about the differences and perhaps development between dogmatics and uh, wonderful works. For one thing, we have to realize wonderful works is itself an abridged work, a shortening and a condensing of reform dogmatics, but we're talking a passage of time of 20 to 30 years from when he wrote dogmatics to when he uh, wrote and published wonderful works. 
Yeah, and at the end of things there, we see that on page 155, that first paragraph, we could ask, what is the point here? And, and at the end of this, where does Bobbing come down? However, all this may have been, the six days remain the creation week, within which the heaven and earth and all their hosts were made. These days indicate the temporal order in which the creatures successively came into being. So again, as Andrew said earlier, a linear. He's affirming a linear creation. That's a very important here. Uh, linear and sequential, thereby being orderly. But at the same time, they contain a suggestion, so now the purpose, though, of the relationship of rank in which these creatures stand over against each other. No scientific investigation can overthrow this relationship. And we might add no theological or exegetical positing can overthrow this relationship. The formless precedes the formed in rank and order. The inorganic precedes the organic. The plant precedes the animal. The animal precedes man. Man is and remains the crown of creation the making and the preparation of earth issues in him and converges upon him. Hence, too, scripture tells us little about the creation of heaven and of the angels, limiting itself primarily to the earth. In an astronomical sense, the earth may be small and insignificant, but uh, in a religious and moral sense, it remains the center of the universe. So this is where we have the primary point of this account in Genesis. The earth and the earth alone has been chosen to be the dwelling place of man. It has been chosen to be the arena of struggle. He's using good Kuyperian language there of the antithesis uh, in which the great battle must be fought against every evil power. It has been chosen to serve as the place for the establishment of the kingdom of heaven. So that is the main point there. And if this, uh, if creation and earth has been chosen as the establishment for the kingdom of heaven, this also implies it is the establishment, virtually the, the throne of the king. So it has been chosen as that over which the king rules uh, in and through and for which all is purposed for. So this earth is chosen to serve as the place of the establishment of the kingdom of heaven. This implies a king, and the king has subjects. To be a king, there must be subjects. To be a subject, there must be a king. And that king, of course, is Jesus Christ, true man and true God. And man was made for his, to be co-regents, to be co-reigners, to have dominion, to be regents o over this creation. And that, even through the fall, uh, continues to be the purpose though now it cannot be properly accomplished without being united to the king. And so with this, Bob, Inc. has kind of come full circle on the evolution issue, that any kind of evolution, any kind of development within the creation proceeds from this point forward. Well, what he's getting at here is the is actually a cultural mandate on development of things. So he's conceiving of evolution as progress or process uh, of any part of creation. Basically, they're... they're utilization uh he says it's that uh in which the various kinds of creatures have their own natures and in that nature each has received its own thought and property and law all such evolution takes its point of departure at the same time as direction its purpose from this creation so there must be a development there must be a forward movement and what is it that these things are moving towards what is it that all of creation moves towards what's its telos its purpose its end and that is the kingdom and you even see uh on the first full paragraph of 157 how in creation you have this telos and you have this history and purpose of the world patterned in terms of the Sabbath. So you have the six days and then God takes a day of rest. In that we see modeled what the world is for and where the world is going, all things working towards 
uh, eternal glory, eternal rest towards consummation. The whole history of the world is patterned in its creation, in God's creating of the world. This is for fun, uh, where Bobbing basically says, hey, you know, the, the, there's a concept of uh, in the 18th century, you know, in the Enlightenment that this is the, the best possible of all worlds. This is basically the, the best thing since sliced bread here, even though sliced bread I don't think was invented until the 1930s. The Enlightenment philosophers had a very optimistic concept of the world. He speaks of this on page 158, uh, that second paragraph. Finally, the scriptures teaches that the world is good. We we have to really hold to that, though we don't want to be overly optimistic or uh, triumphalistic, as if all the things of uh, the consummation can be attained here, of all things of the kingdom of heaven can be manifest and apprehended here in perfection. He says it takes a certain amount of courage to say that, though, that the world is good in these days. So this was already in the early 20th century. It took courage to say the world is good. This is, uh, I think, before World War One. Uh, in which he wrote this. So so a rather remarkable statement that already you start to see some of that pessimism creeping in. It's also worth noting, too, just thinking in terms of Bob Inc. And, and others around him, because it is often charged against them that they were too optimistic, too triumphalistic, too transformationalistic. They actually, Bob Inc. and Kuiper and even others, were not, and I think we're going to get into some of this more in the future, looking at maybe some of Bob Inc.'s other works. Uh, Bob Inc. was an amillennial. Bob Inc. was not a post-millennial. He was not believing in a, a transforming and a redeeming of this creation uh, in this age. Uh, like Kuiper... This movement was largely this movement of neo-Calvinism at this time in the Netherlands, much more saw ebbing and flowing in history. It saw that, yes, the kingdom of God would have an impact in this world and in this age, but also as it increased, so too resistance increases. There's not a, a definite trajectory of improvement or of bringing in any utopia in this age. And to reinforce that, uh, I'm going to synthesize just a couple sentences. Um, backtracking from 157, you have an enormous paragraph there. That's half the page. And it continues on to the top of 158. But listen to what Bob Inc. says that. Uh, of what, and compare that with what Andrew just said. So, Scripture teaches that the world has a beginning. Nevertheless, it teaches also it will have an end. So, this world is finite. It will have, of course... An end in its present form, in this present order, this present evil age. For the form of this world passes away, but not in its substance and essence. So God will not do an all new, brand new creation, if you will, but he will renew creation using the same substance and essence, uh, as you'll find in Second Peter. But uh, even though the world and men and angels continue to exist everlastingly in the future, they remain creatures and never share the eternity which God possesses. But for all that, the world cannot be thought of as eternal in the sense that God is eternal. The difference between the eternal and everlasting is one of kind not of degree. And so he's very careful to separate then the eternal uh, and things that belong to the next age uh, and ascribe them to the present age. They must reach their telos or consummation in Christ. And so that, that, that's where then on page 158, he starts talking about how scripture teaches us the world is good. We can't let go of that no matter how bad things look. We don't go the distance of the enlightenment uh, optimism but we also don't want to fall into a disparity, uh, which he then goes on talking about the poets and philosophers of 
our time or of his time of modernism, that the world is itself as bad as can be, and that if it were one degree worse, it could not exist. All that exists, according to the thinking of many, is deserving only of annihilation. There's nothing good. This world is a sinking ship. You get these sentiments in strands of Christianity, escapists that want to separate. It's always been around. Although some still want to enjoy so much of the world as can still give it a bit of pleasure, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die, others surrender themselves to discouragement and world weariness or in a visionary dreams or in visionary dreams of hope for a future, a socialistic utopia, a bliss beyond the grave, a nirvana, something at least which the present age cannot give. So that, I mean, that's nail in the coffin. He is not triumphalistic. So, in conclusion of this section on creation, Bob Inc. writes at the bottom of page 158, he says this, They, that is the Holy Scriptures, go on to explain that nevertheless in this fallen and guilty and vain world, the good pleasure of God is being fulfilled. They teach that because of this destination to which the world is being conducted, this world may again be called good. And they teach that despite sin, the world is and will become and remains a means by which God glorifies his attributes and an instrument which he makes serviceable to the honor of his name. And finally, the scriptures conclude this, their instruction concerning the world by giving the glorious promise that this world with all its suffering and oppression becomes good for us again when we subject our will to that honor of God and make it serviceable to his glory all things work together for good to them that love God they learn to glory even in tribulation their faith is the victory that overcomes the world and this is a good transition into the doctrine of providence, but we're out of time for now. So we're going to go ahead and pause and we'll come back and treat providence in subsequent episodes. So we thank you for listening to yet another Bobcast. We appreciate your support these last couple of years as we're near our two-year anniversary now. I don't know where this will air exactly in relation to that, but uh, as always, if you have any questions... Any comments, complaints, you can email us, bobcast at gmail.com. Reach out to us on social media. Leave us a review rating. That helps people find the show. Tell your friends uh, if you like what we're doing and want others to be a part. Right. Tell your dog if, if you know, you treat your dog like a person like me. <sighs> this again. Last time I mentioned this, it was like, I think, our very first episode. So we're just bringing it back full circle. I feel like it comes up more than that. Probably. It comes up too much for my liking. Well, you just don't like dogs. Well, yeah. Especially my dog. Yeah. He's yappy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, you told me, you joked that you were bringing your dog this weekend for I your did. visit. Just me and him, not the rest of my family. Not my son, not my wife. Gave me a little mini panic just attack. Just me and my dog. Actually, it wasn't that bad. I figured you were serious. Like, oh, okay, so we got the dog. I can deal. <laughs> well, he doesn't shed. That's why I like him. That's fair. Anyways, y'all come back now, you hear? I think that's a Texan way of saying toadzines. That is. Thank you for listening to Bobcast. If you like what you've heard, Please subscribe and leave a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. For the latest Bobcast news and updates, visit Bobcast.com or follow us on social media. Bobcast is a member of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. Subscribe to the Society of Reformed Podcasters feed for more great shows. Bobcast is edited and produced by me, Heidi Smith. Music is City of God by Rudy Manrique. We hope you'll join us again next time.